this is Wayne Randazzo of the WCBS Mets Radio Network, and you're listening to Baseball and BBQ. Before we begin, just want to let you know that our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas Casino and Poker Games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. From the studios of Baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York, this is episode number 134 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm Jeff Cohen, along with Leonard Hollywood Aberman. Hey, Hey, Jeff. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, how you doing? (laughs) How you doing? (laughs) Like Joey (laughs) Triviano would say. That's right. How you doing? All right. (laughs) Jeff. What's in store for us today? What a show do we have for everyone? What a show do we have? That's like Yoda. (laughs) What a show you have. Um, (laughs) We have none other than author John Rosengren, who wrote classic baseball, timeless tales, immortal, immortal what? Immortal moments, moments. And that is that you're not kidding. Great book. Great interview. Looking forward to that. And then, Jeff. You and I took a road trip. Road trip. Yes, we certainly did. We went to Astoria, New York. Oh, all the way to Astoria. <laughs> and and uh, we went to Pig Beach, one of their locations. Let and, me just say there's, there's really no beach there. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> there were plenty of pigs, though, yes. roasting. Were, Being roasted, yes, absolutely. Yes, there definitely were. And we, we had... It was a great, great day. It was a fundraiser. And we on this show, we're going to have our interviews with Chris Lilly, Grant Pinkerton, and John Wheeler. And they couldn't have been any nicer. They they were terrific. So you know what, Jeff? Now that we're talking about barbecue, we should start this like other barbecue podcasts where, you know, I ask you or you ask me, so Jeff, what'd you cook this week? Is that a uh, segue for me to say, so Len, what'd you cook this week? That's right. It's a, it's a hint. You know what, Jeff? I was a good barbecue cook. I got some Bell and Evans chicken thighs, by the way, Bell and Evans, really good chicken, Bell and Evans chicken thighs. And I used some Denny Mike's chick magnet rub, sprinkled it really nicely on there. And then I grilled them up and I added some barbecue Buddha, Memphis mop, barbecue sauce. Oh, Jeff, those were good. Those were really good. You know what? Our friend Ray Sheehan, he really, I think he really hit on something. And, and you know what? I, now that I'm, I'm talking about Ray, we'll just mention that he has his book, Big Green Egg Basics from a Master Barbecuer. You know, this way we're not waiting till later in the show to talk about it. But that Memphis Mott barbecue sauce, it really it has like a vinegar base and it's it's just really good. It's not sweet. You know, it's some of these sauces are really sweet. It was really good. So that's what I cooked, Jeff. I wanted to bring that up. And now that very, we started that. Very yeah, like good. A, just let everybody know I did not get any taste of this chicken that he's, he's raving about. So, uh, you know, just let you know that. I, I feel like, though, you know, I, all you do is you put on the Denny Mike's rub and the barbecue Buddha sauce. And it's it's simple. All right. So, Jeff, now let's jump before we get to our interview. Let's talk a little bit about baseball. We had a couple of crazy things happen. Some oddities this week. Some oddities. Yes. Uh, which one you want to start with? Which which oddity? Should we start with? 
Let's go with actually, I think they both happened on Sunday, May 15th. So if you, when you listen to this, it happened last week. Yes, right. Yeah, two out of these on, on the same day. The Cincinnati Reds pitches a no hitter and lost. And according to Major League Baseball, it wouldn't have even been an official no hitter because it was only eight innings, apparently. Well, yeah. So but Pittsburgh Pirates with no hit and they yes. won the game one to nothing. It's rare, but it happened before. Yeah, no, it wasn't a first time. But wow, that's just one of those very quirky things. Quirky, that, that's uh, a good word for it. And another yeah. another quirky thing is Hall of Famer to be Albert Pujols gave up two home runs as a pitcher in a blowout game. One of the home runs was to the opposing pitcher. Now you're saying, wait a second, this year's a DH. There's no pitcher. And the only one who really is considered a pitcher who can hit is Shoney Otani. But it was a blowout. And the Cardinals were playing the Giants. And the Giants had a pitcher. I forgot his first name, but his last name is Gonzalez. He came in as a position player to pitch. And thus, when he got up the bat, he was considered a, a pitcher. And when he hit the home run, it's his home run as a pitcher, as opposed right. to a third baseman, outfield, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Albert Pujols had never pitched in a game. He had, you know, 22 years in the league and he got to pitch, gave up two home runs. But what was strange was usually when you see a, a, a position player pitching, it's because the bullpens are, you know, basically they either want to save their bullpen. They feel like they're just so out of the game. There's no coming back or it's gone many innings, you know, extra innings, of course. And, they ran out of pitchers, so they put in a they put in a position player. But in this case, it was a blowout game. But the St. Louis Cardinals were blowing out the Cincinnati Reds, and they put in Albert Pujols. Yes, and of course, obviously, this is a different era. Pitchers would have pitched the full game. Now they only go five innings, so they're always using four or five pitches a game. And the Cardinals manager must have said, you know what? Why ruin a bust through a bullpen? Let's just use a position player. We're, we're, we're blowing them out anyway. Yes, but don't teams come back? When We've they were down 15, I think the, the, the score when he came in was 15 to 2. Okay. But, he up, but he did give up six runs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so it, it got a little closer. Well, five runs. It, yeah. Okay. But that was just. So the, obviously, if, 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 if they got a little closer, you know, then they put in a, a real pitcher too. Right. But I. I just I'm a little surprised that they did that, but whatever they did, you know, that could be called an immortal moment like the book, classic baseballs, timeless <laughs> tales, immortal moments. Wow. Are you segueing? Here's our interview with John Rosengren. We have with us on Baseball and BBQ, a prolific writer of many books and articles. Sports books include The Fight of Their Lives, How Juan Marichal and John Roseboro Turned Baseball's Ugliest Brawl into a Story of Forgiveness and Redemption. Hank Greenberg, The Hero of Heroes. Hammer and Hank, George Almighty, and A Say Hey Kid, A Year That Changed Baseball Forever. Alone in the Trenches, My Life as a Gay Player in the NFL. Blade to Glory, The Story of a Young Team Bred to Win. And his latest book, Classic Baseball, Timeless Tales, Immortal Moments. As many articles have been published in History Channel Magazine, Memory and Dreams, a Baseball Hall of Fame magazine, MLB Insiders Club, the Minnesota Magazine, Sports on Earth, Vice Sports, the New Yorker, GQ, and the Granddaddy of Mall, Sports Illustrated. Winner of multiple awards for writing, a member of Sabre and the Internet Baseball Writers Association of America, we are very happy to be speaking with John Rosengren. Welcome, John. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I should probably clarify that book, My Life as a Gay Player in the NFL, is not my, my story. I oh, wrote right. that with Ezra Tuaolo, so it's his story. Of course, anyone looking at me can tell I did not play in the NFL, but just to clarify that. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, that, that was a, you know what, John, it's rare to start an interview this way, but I'm, I'm going to say there is so much that we have to talk about that it's it'll be impossible so to to get to everything so i'm going to ask you to come back before we even begin <laughs> i say come back <laughs> all right well i uh thank you for that invitation 
Uh, so I, I, off. I, I really uh, enjoyed this book, Timeless Tales, Immortal Moments. This is not really a, a compilation of a lot of articles that you've written over the years on different magazines, correct? Yes. Okay. I, I was really stunned to read some of these articles, especially the early chapters where, uh, if, uh, let me just start off with baseball during wartime. You have a, a story in here where the armed forces played at the Hitler Youth Stadium. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It, yeah, that's crazy. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, it was as, uh, you know, in Europe, there were these baseball leagues during World War II. And so in Europe, there was a team in France that played a team that was based in Germany. These are American troops. And they had the GI World Series. And so as the war is winding down in Europe and Germany's already surrendered, they play the GI World Series in Germany at the Nuremberg Stadium where Hitler used to give his prop, you know, speeches and espouses propaganda. So I just love the irony of this, that in this place where he's espousing this uh, propaganda of hate and uh, totalitarianism is dictatorship, you've got the heart of democracy playing out in the national pastime of uh, baseball. So was, that was one of the fun stories to write. Oh, and, and I should mention too, the manager of, I won't give away uh, which team he is, whether winning or losing, but the manager of one of the teams is a Jewish guy. And so that's wonderful in yep. itself. Um, and then there are a couple of black players as well who you know couldn't play in the major leagues in the United States, couldn't play in the regular World Series, but were able to play in the GI World Series. Yeah, isn't that... Uh... Amazing and sad at the same time. Yeah, right. Let, let's just tell everybody the book is called Classic Baseball, Timeless Tales, Immortal Moments. And currently we have 30 major league teams. There are 25 players on each roster, although I guess there's more now because of, you know, all the, the because the lockout and they added more. But and the reason I say that is I always like to say everybody has a story and you have gotten some stories that are just amazing i would think that you could really with 30 teams and all those players the way you go after stories you could you spend the rest of your life just on the current rosters finding stories one of the stories and i should pause and let you say something but i want to get to this one of the the things you talk about in the book that i i loved is the baseball reliquary right yeah you've you got to tell us about that I, you know, that's one of the really fun ones. And that's the thing about this collection that I enjoyed so much in in putting it together was the variety. You have some of these surprises like the GI World Series and then these quirky stories like the Baseball Reliquary. Remember someone telling me about this? It's sort of the antithesis uh, to the or the quirky uh, stepchild to the Baseball Hall of Fame because they honor those people, the personalities and the characters that bring color to the game and that the things that fans seem to really enjoy beyond the statistics. And so it was this guy, Terry Cannon, who decided he'd put together um, these artifacts. And so he has things like a hot dog half eaten by Babe Ruth <laughs> or the panties that Babe, Wade Boggs made his mistress wear <laughs> during a hitting streak so he wouldn't ruin his luck or a collage of Dave Winfield made from chewing gum. Oh, it's just, I mean, it's wacky stuff, right? And then they also have the Shrine of the Internals, which is there. Uh, the, the characters they've inducted, and, you know, like Doc Ellis, uh, who famously pitched uh, uh, or reputedly pitched a no-hitter uh, while tripping on acid and uh, would walk around with his curlers. Or uh, Charlie Brown is a member, but also Steve Dalkowski, the guy who threw 100 miles in the minor leagues but never made it to the majors. I mean, just these wacky, again, offbeat characters that are so much fun. Uh, the Baseball Reliquary celebrates those. And, uh, it, you know, discovering it is just so much fun to, and writing about it. I loved it. And Jeff pointed out, I believe, that one of our former guests is now a member of of that yeah, team club. He won the Hildy Award, the the cowbell. Right, yeah, that the woman at uh, yeah. uh, used to yeah. ring at Evans Field. What's who was the guest? Do you remember it was Ralph Cowhart? Okay, he he wrote the whole ball where he went around getting people the, the whole famous to take a picture with the ball, not sign it, but take a picture with it. Mm. So he got most of the living Hall of Famers at the time. So oh, good right. for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he won that. And and John, you know, the other thing is 
you write these stories and I guess these again were were stories that you had written. Some of them led to books, uh, to you writing books, but others, the articles. But then you have a postscript. So as I'm reading the, the story, I'm thinking, oh, I would love to have you know, that person on, because uh, as I said, everyone has a story. These stories are fascinating. And then when you got to the end and you said, I think Terry Cannon, right. He passed away. I was like, Oh, that's yeah. That's one of the sadnesses. Um, But what was fun too, is to go back and revisit these stories. And, you know, that one I maybe wrote seven years ago or so. And and some of these others looking at uh, where are these people today? And, and, you know, I followed up with uh, several of them, Jim Bowden's another one who I write about, but sadly couldn't have on unless you, if you could get that interview, that'd be amazing. You know, I tune into that. That's a seance waiting to happen. <laughs> wait, wait. I think Jim is on. And, and John, you are from the Minnesota area, right? So, so yeah, there's definitely a, a, a bent in this. My twins, my twins uh, pennant up there. Ah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> So there's there's definitely there's some uh, twins stories in here. And one is about you going to fantasy camp, twins fantasy camp. And I bring that up because Jeff uh, went to Mets fantasy camp and you guys have that in common. He he loved it. Time of my life. Everyone's dream, right? Oh, it was great. Yes. Although I found it terribly humbling. I mean, I quickly understood why these guys had played in the major leagues. And I never did. I mean, even, you know, in their 50s, uh, some of these guys, they put on weight and they don't move nearly as well as they did. But their hands, they still have the hands like scooping up ground balls. And again, they might not have the arm, but there's just a fluidity there and that and a gracefulness still that I was never blessed with. I know what you mean. I was in a batting cage and with Heath Bell and Nelson Figueroa, who's been out of the game, I don't know, 10 years or so. And they can still bring it. I mean, they're going 85, 90 miles an hour. No problem. <laughs> I had no yeah. chance. <laughs> I, I did not face that. Fortunately, the guys who uh, the pitching to me were a little, well, they, I think they would be nice too. Um, like I got a hit off Rich Aguilera. Ah, and, Rick Aguilera. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> That's a fantasy <laughs> Winning pitcher of game six uh, in the 86 World Series. Yeah. Rick Aguilera, yeah. So getting back to the book, uh, there's some stories in here which I I I'd love to talk talk to you about. I mean, the, the the shining of Mark Hamburger that was a really interesting story. How this guy just wouldn't, I guess he he made it to major leagues for a, a bit, and he wouldn't go back unless he was a starter. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So here's a guy, a big league talent. He'd had his time in the, in the major leagues, tested positive for marijuana not once but twice. Ended up going through treatment and you know, had this epiphany and turned his life around. And so he's pitching for the St. Paul Saints uh, in his hometown. He's, it's a class A, at that time, an independent lower class A league. And he had offers to try out with major league, several major league teams who wanted to put him in the bullpen. But really what he wanted was to be a starter. And he knew that about himself. And he thought he would rather be living in his hometown pitching for the hometown team as a starter, doing what he wanted to do, then go uh, latch onto a major league team, which right in itself tells you the guy's a little different from the average Mm -hmm. ball player. But then as I got talking to him, I mean, here's the first impression I had of him. I knew a a bit of his story, but I'm waiting in the clubhouse for him. He shows up, he's comes in like in a flannel shirt, baseball cap uh, backwards, I think long hair and, you know, he looks like a kid uh, that's just come in from the park. But he said, and so he doesn't look like the slick ball player. He offers me something to drink. It's like, that's never happened to me. You know, in all the years <laughs> reporting at various uh, athletes I've interviewed and stuff, nobody offers me something to drink. They're all, it's all about them, right? And so right <laughs> off, I knew this guy is different. There's something special about him. And seeing talking to him, he's describing a tattoo and the different facets. Or they're like diamonds and you have to polish them to uh you know let them shine or like different facets of our personality so if he's getting philosophical on me and as i'm sitting there talking to him and thinking there's no way i could be having this conversation with joe mauer uh, right you know across the river with the minnesota twins mauer great ball player probably future hall of famer nice guy but just vanilla you know bland mm-hmm. whereas mark hamburger was the guy of substance even though um you know he 
was happy pitching class A and not in, uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed getting to know him. And you have a chapter in here that's going to bring a tear to a lot of people's eyes. You talk about. Is it that the, poorly written? <laughs> it's yeah, it needs work. Oh, yeah. It needs work. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll work on it. That's okay. For love of the game, it's about your trip to Cooperstown with your father. Oh, that's that must have been some trip. But to write that chapter, it's a beautiful chapter about Thank that you. trip. Yeah, you know, probably most of us, I think, who love the game of baseball, inherited that love from somebody. It's usually an elder sitting with a younger person between pitches, passing on the rules of the, you know, explaining the game to them, how it works, giving some of the history, the lore, the, there's a bit of nostalgia usually wrapped up in there. And for me, that person was my father. And I think probably for a lot of boys or men our age, you know, when we were boys, our parents Mm -hmm. were, or our, our father was the one doing that. And so my dad passed along his love of the game to me. And so as he was dying, I had one last wish, you know, to go to Cooperstown with him and neither one of us had been there. And so I didn't realize really how, I mean, I knew he was sick, but I didn't realize how uh, much his energy had been sapped until we actually got there. And, um, you know, he had to take naps during the day, but it was just so meaningful to both of us, I think, to indulge that mutual love with one another knowing this was, you know, a once in a lifetime experience. And yet that was such a gift he gave me to make that trip with me. And I hope it was a gift that I also gave him for him to be able to enjoy that, as I know we both did. Mm -hmm. And you found that up with with a uh, chapter on your father's glove, my father's glove. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great as well. Thanks. I got got that here. Let me show you. It sits behind me. This is Bill Rosengren's uh, old net. Oh, right there. Uh, yeah, tell, tell about the name that w- the way you describe the name right. with the letters. I- so, yeah, my dad, he was a, um, a really practical, meticulous guy. Right. So he wrote it with he etched it. You can see there in with a wood burning thing or, you know, a tool burning thing. So he, he didn't it's not that's not ink that's etched into the leather. And it was, there's a bit of a creative flourish. He was a cartoonist for the University of Minnesota daily newspaper, but he was also a law student later and very practical. So it kind of blended the two sides of his personalities, the artistic and the practical side. Right. So the B and the R are the flourished, right? And the, and then the rest of it is the, like the law school. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And just that, man, I mean, doesn't that just evoke all sorts oh, yeah. of nostalgia? I mean, there's stories in here that oh, I yeah. wish this myth could talk and tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and also, this book is a perfect coffee table book because you can pick this book up at any point and read a story. The stories are maybe, you know, two, three pages. That it, It's just per- and you don't need to read it in any particular order. I love books like that. The the one thing also that I, I told Jeff, I, I thought this book, this book is like going on the internet and, you know, you go on the internet to do research on one thing. And the next thing, you know, you click something else and it takes you down the rabbit hole and you just, that's what this book is. So I found so many things in here that I want to do more research on. That's a very, uh, it, it's really good. Harvey Haddock's. Talk to us a little bit about Harvey Haddix. Oh, man. Uh, first, I want to say thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And uh, again, it, I, part of the fun, right? It's like a smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. And you're going to Sunday brunch. You know, everybody gets a little something they like. They don't all have to eat the, the ham and eggs. <laughs> but so Harvey Haddix, you know, he pitches a perfect game. What I think it's up to 32 now that we've had of those. Or, but, uh, you know, very rare feet right in the history right. of baseball a perfect game and it's not enough so he pitches another inning perfect you know still not enough his team can't score the runs for him. another inning perfect i mean it, and then the guy loses you know in the uh, uh, after um what was it the 13th inning i think it was 13 yeah. innings of yeah. perfection yeah. So he pitches 12 
Well, what was it? Isn't it 12 innings of perfection right. that he loses in the 13th? And right. it's like, I mean, how heartbreaking must that be? Like, what more do I have to do, right? He's looking at his team, he's throwing me a run, and he's perfect for 12, a, a full game and a third, and he can't win the game. And, and you know, he, he, he doesn't even get credit for Major League Baseball no, for a no. perfect game. I mean, he's done – he's was more perfect, if that's possible – than the other 31 guys who pitched 90. <laughs> right. 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 And so he did, he did it better. The, yeah. And he still doesn't get the win no. and the credit. <laughs> so, I mean, heartbreaking. But I, again, I think anybody who reads or hears that story, their heart breaks for him and, and they just, you know, love the guy because how can you not? You know, you just you feel for him. Yeah, exactly. You have, to have a heart of stone not to be rooting for him. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course, today, in today's world, oh, seven innings, perfect in a game. I'll just come out of the game. No worries. You know, like, I'll just come out. This is just ridiculous. But. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that Kershaw just recently? Yeah, yeah it was Kershaw. Yeah, Kershaw. Yeah. But he, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was a long game for him. You know, now you get five innings from your starter and you're happy. Exactly. Exactly. So, John, also uh, chapter after chapter. But this, during the, you have the wartime chapter and about Christy Matheson, who, you know, with the gas, the poisonous gas was accidental. And I mean, that was that was so sad that he, you know, was serving our country. You don't even have to talk about it. People have to read the book for that one. <laughs> and you talk about when the soldiers get back and Hank Greenberg. What a mensch. Hank Greenberg. Oh, nice. <laughs> that says it all about him, right? <laughs> exactly. One of the chats I did want to talk to you about in Jackie's memory. And a subchapter yeah. is a pioneers of the Negro League about Tony Stone, Connie mm. Morgan, and Mamie Peanut Johnson. And and when when I was reading this, I found it fascinating that you know the the black American could not play in the major leagues, and it was prejudice. And finally, when he does get in, when Jackie Robinson does get into the major leagues, he is shunned by some of his teammates because of his color of his skin. While these three women play for a Negro League team, some of their teammates shun them because of their gender. I thought that was, you know, kind of fascinating, I guess. You know, they, they were shunned because not of their race, but of their gender. Well, prejudice is colorblind in a way, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. or, I mean, it happens in all, all forms. Or prejudice is an equal opportunity employer, you know, discrimination, oppression. They, they don't need a lot of uh, cause to take effect. And so, yeah, these women playing for the Indianapolis Clowns um, in the Negro Leagues, even though you know all their teammates had experienced discrimination, right, and and the uh, downside of prejudice, they still were meeting it out because they were men and <laughs> they didn't think women should be playing with them, and I'm sure felt threatened in some way. But that's what I love is that these women hung in there, and you know, one of them, peanut, you know, she's a peanut, and she's like five two, and she's still able to to stick with or hang with the men. Right. And, uh, so, uh, you know, there, I think there's a courage in their playing professional baseball, similar to what Jackie Robinson uh, displayed. Um, not the same, but they both, uh, th- there was courage in the hearts and performance of all of those, those women and Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And one of those women, one of those, I'm sorry, one of those women, they replaced Hank Aaron on the roster. That's yeah. Isn't that yeah. great? <laughs> Isn't that yeah. great? <laughs> yeah. Now it wasn't like, they said, Hank, you're sitting today. Peanuts, peanuts taking your place. That I think uh, would have raised eyebrows. <laughs> but that's another one. You have a story on, uh, you know, with Hank Aaron. You can hear story after story about Hank Aaron, and, and you can never get enough of hearing about him and his accomplishment. He's one of the guys I've so enjoyed writing about, and I did – a book on the 1973 baseball season and, and his story chasing Babe Ruth uh, that summer was one of the storylines. But this, in this book, there's an ex, that story uh, in a little different fashion. And again, talk about courage. And I think that's what I love too about sports is they're like this microcosm of the human experience. And you put these people in a pressure cooker, you know, uh, and see how they're, how they respond. And so uh, it's, you know, there's a, a tight game or a, a pennant race or in Hank Aaron's case, chasing a record. And yet there's all this outside 
pressure from people who uh, love Babe Ruth and don't want to see his record broken. And some of the bigots who love Babe Ruth and don't like want a black man to break the record. And so there are the death threats coming. And he's under this tremendous pressure to perform and fearing for his life and his wife's life and his child's life. And he bears up so gracefully under that pressure. It's so inspiring. And I just think Hank Aaron was one of the real uh, figures with character in the game and um, someone that, you know, we don't feel bad about our kids admiring and idolizing and want to be like. I mean, there's certainly plenty, plenty of professional athletes I don't want my kids to emulate. Mm-hmm. But Hank Aaron, if, boy, if they want to live like Hank Aaron, um, I'm all for it. You're doing okay. <laughs> John, we had on um, Bob Kendrick. No, oh, sure. The yeah. president of the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. What a storyteller. He talked about Hank Aaron and what people don't realize is that when those two kids ran onto the field, that great situation of him hitting the home run could have been a a huge tragedy because there was someone in the stands that was ready to, with a, uh, had a little gun. I, I don't know what it was called, but he was ready to, he was there to protect Hank Aaron. Yeah. When those two kids ran onto the field, he made a, a split decision not to shoot them, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also mentioned how when Hank Aaron's mother greets him at the plate and she basically gives him a hug and kind of puts her body in harm's way, she was she was protecting her son. Yeah, that's powerful. I hadn't heard that part about son. I, but I, I knew the threat. I mean, he felt threatened too at first when these two guys are running up after him. You know, after all he'd been through, here these two young white men running after him. It's like whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and again, you know, he he didn't slug him <laughs> or <laughs> defend himself. He kept kept up his trot. But uh, yeah, yeah, powerful stories. Yeah, the book is called Classic Baseball: Timeless Tales, Immortal Moments. John, I know you're part of the baseball, the pandemic baseball book club, which you can get the book there. So uh, let me ask you about your background. How did you get started in, in writing and becoming this such a great author? Well, thanks. I got it. Actually, I quit smoking pot and I had to find something else to do. <laughs> I was a senior in high school and I went through treatment. Uh, I was uh, they called us baby dope fiends back then in the early 80s. And I had a journalism teacher who was very nurturing and encouraged me to write my senior year of high school. And I discovered that was something I really liked and had a bit of talent for it. And so I just pursued it. And I ended up, um, I was an English major in college. I got a master's degree in creative writing at Boston University, where I had the good fortune to study with Leslie Epstein, who was not only the son and nephew of the Epstein brothers who wrote Casablanca, but he's also the father of Theo Epstein. And so uh, anyway, I had these really positive influences in my life, encouraging me to write. And I just kept at it. And the books started coming, you know, I started turning out some books and articles. And um, now I've got this one to show for it. Yeah, great book. I, I want to yeah. ask you about the, uh, in the personalities chapter, mm-hmm. The Legend of La Tartuga. Now, I, this is only a couple of years ago, and I, I, it must be a Minnesota thing because I really don't remember hearing about him. Well, he's not a guy you'd read about in the uh, sports pages. He was a, or, well, he was this utility infielder who became a cult hero in Minnesota because he would do these things like he's catching and he, uh, there's run on first, and he just does this no look throw and picks the guy off first base. Or he, his most famous was when he, ran from first to home and it was so painful to watch because here's a guy he's like 5'8", 220 and he rounds second and his helmet falls off but it's sort of like watching you know like Willie Mays only in slow motion and he's just <laughs> chugging 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 and then the relay throws coming in he's going around third and his face is like super expressive and showing you know he's just in pain <laughs> suffering suffering and you're kind of watching the ball watching him watching the ball watching him is he gonna make it he's gonna make it. and finally he beats the throw but the manager Paul Molitor says Oh, that was so painful to watch. And he said, uh, Williams Astadio, La Tortuga says, I just wanted to show that fat people can run too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was he, just, 
everybody fell in love with the guy. So they have a La Tortuga night and the manager doesn't even think highly enough of him to start him in the game on his own night. He's being honored. <laughs> but you can imagine the fans went crazy when he came out to pinch hit in the eighth inning. Uh-huh. He's our big sexy. He, yeah. He's he's our Bartolo Colon for the Mets. Yes, yes. And um, he was, um, and I think I mentioned Bartolo Colon in that article too, because yeah. he also had a moment with the Twins. He's one of those personalities, you know, like you were mentioning before, Leonard, that there are these guys out there on these the teams, and it's just a matter of getting to know them and realizing just what makes what sets them apart and makes them special. And I was able to discover that in La Tortuga, and it was a lot of fun to write about. Let's talk about you for a second, because I went on your website and the the first couple of paragraphs, I, I have to read this because I'm our listeners are going to be amazed when they hear this it says about John. I once interviewed a woman shot in the head by hijackers and left for dead on the tarmac. I raced my bike against Greg LeMond in this in South Africa and beat him. I played a tennis match against the world's top ranked wheelchair tennis player and lost. I channeled a 330 pound Samoan retired NFL nose tackle who was gay as Sarah to wallow for his memoir. I played softball on snowshoes in the summertime wood chips spread across the infield, which also is in this book. Oh, that was a great story. I wrapped a base hit for a former Twins pitcher, Rick Aguilera. I listened to a nurse <laughs> tell me the story of prying a shotgun shell out of Ernest Hemingway's hand when he was intent upon killing himself. I profiled a woman who was, Roman, who was a Roman Catholic priest. I attended a powwow with LGBTQ Native Americans. I interviewed a mortician in the room where she embalmed my father. I interviewed a 15-year-old boy in his hospital room after he tried to stop a school shooter. I mean, this is amazing. It's just unbelievable. Just yeah. I find it's more fun than smoking pot these days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've been so grateful for to have these opportunities and to be, get to do these things as part of my career. I mean, it's, and, and also being a journalist gives you license to ask people questions, you know, that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to ask at a cocktail party. And so it's, I just, I, I really enjoy what I do and I'm grateful for the chance to do it. That's what we do here. That's, that's exactly, I am a frustrated writer and who does this, but yeah, it's, as I said, everybody has a story. And the fun part is talking to people like yourself and hearing the stories and and getting to talk to people like yourself who write incredible books. I always say you guys, the authors do the heavy lifting. The easy part is just plunking down a few shekels and buying the book because you do the heavy lifting. And so I feel the same way. You, you understand this, where you get to talk to interesting people, maybe present company excluded, but you get to, um, you know, we have an excuse to talk to them, whereas ordinarily you, you would never be able to just pick up the phone and say, hello, uh, Mike Trout, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> but, you know, you say, oh, hey, Mike, will you be on our podcast? Sure, love to. And so then you get to talk to them and it's a lot of fun. John, I know we only have a few minutes left. I know your time is very valuable, and we thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Great book. There's a lot of things we want to talk to you about, but I have a feeling that when you talk to Harmon Killebrew, that must have been a a joy to do. You know, that's I have two T-shirts with baseball players' names on them, and one of them is Harmon Killebrew. And so growing up in Minnesota, you know, he was the big star here. Um, We had others who came along. uh, Rod Carew, who was my boyhood hero of all time. But he was really, well, a legend here and um, a, a larger than life type guy. And yet also so down to earth, I mean, you know, small town Idaho, I don't think ever left him. So I to be able to interview him was just such a treat. And again, it's, you know, having that excuse to be able to talk to someone like that, whereas I couldn't just really go up to him in the stadium when I was a kid and say, hey, Herman, will you sit down and spend some time? <laughs> but it was just so one of those things I'm really grateful for. Again, to I feel like I'm repeating myself, but to be able to have a conversation with a guy like that and realize 
um, you know, they say you're not supposed to meet your heroes, but he was one of those heroes I met that didn't disappoint. And I thought, what a great guy. Uh, he's, uh, he's humble, and yet he's fully aware of his accomplishments and his place in the Pantheon and just a, a, a wonderful person. So I'm really grateful to have the chance to talk to him. Oh, and John, John, also, I, I, I know we're pressed for time, but I want to know Seth Hawkins, the super fan yeah. who goes after everyone's 3,000th hit, right? Yeah. As I'm reading that, I started thinking about, you know, Melky Cabrera. And then we get to the postscript and you mentioned him. But when you mentioned him, I think you said he was at like 2,866 hits or something, which. So what I wanted to know is, do you know, was Seth Hawkins at the game that Melky got his 3,000th hit? Yes, I could tell you that. So I wrote that article for The New Yorker when Seth Hawkins was chasing Alex Rodriguez, who was closing in on his 3,000th hit with the Yankees. And Seth Hawkins, who calls himself Dr. Fan, uh, has been doing this since Hank Aaron and Willie Mays reached their 3,000th hits. And he's been trying to see every major league player who's gotten to that milestone. So I'm going to talk to him tomorrow because – we, uh, I'm writing another article about him with Miguel Cabrera closing in on 3,000 because this is going to be the last guy for quite a while. You know, when you mm-hmm. look down the list, who's got 3,000 or who's got 2,800, 900 hits? There, I think there's one active player with 2,200 or something. I mean, it's it's a long, they're a long way away. So and this will probably be the last one he gets to see. So I think it'll be a good story. But I really want to hear his experience because I talked to him before he left for Detroit because that's where Cabrera did it on Saturday. And, um, you know, he was intentionally walked. He was 0 for 3, and then he was intentionally walked. You know, you right. sit at 2,990, he's intentionally walked, like, damn. And then the next game is rained out right. on Friday. And I'm sure Thess is thinking, damn. And then he comes up Saturday, and, of course, he uh, finally gets it. But I want to hear his uh, version of how that went. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, actually, the closest one now, I think it's Robinson Cano. He has, like, 2,600. But he's, yeah. you know, he missed a season and a half for, for being suspended. So I don't think he's going to get it. He's, he's getting up there in age as well and not playing right. every day. Yeah, so. he's, he's, get, he's, I think, got the most of the, the next most of any active player, but right. probably won't get the. He won't get it. He won't right. Yeah. Exactly. John, this has been great. Thank you very much for joining us. Pick up the book, Classic Baseball, Amazon. Uh, pandemic baseball book club anywhere else i guess a local bookstore well, any, uh, independent bookstore i like to promote those sure. um yeah or you can go to indiebook.com and they can direct you to an independent bookstore or buy from them online great uh, great stories john thank you very much for joining us we really appreciate it thank All you right, john thank you guys a, a lot of fun i really appreciate your interest uh, in the book Thank you, John. That was a, yeah, this is a really great book, Glenn. I mean, we didn't get, we could have talked about a lot more. It was really terrific. Yeah. I told, well, how did I, had we start the interview? I asked him to come back. Right. It's a good thing. He was a good interviewee because a good subject, because I asked him to come back in the beginning. Right. (laughs) I said, I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of our friends that we like to say hello to, and that's Rich Baxter and Gary Mack of the Baseball Talk Radio Show. Hello! Take a listen to them. They usually release every Sunday. So they have a terrific show. Give them, give them a listen. Sometimes they do it live. <laughs> Sometimes they do. This, this past week they did it live. That's right. On Facebook. Yeah. They, they did it live. <laughs> <laughs> that is an ode to another one of our shows that we enjoy listening to, and that is uh, the Barbecue Central show with the wonderful host, Greg Rempe. But yes, Barry, uh, Barry, Gary, Barry is sometimes joins us on the round table. I always Barry, Gary, Gary and Rich, Rich <laughs> Gary Mack and Rich Baxter. They really do a great show. They keep it real. They keep it current. One is a Phillies fan. One is a Mets fan. Yet they get along. It's amazing. Well, that's why they do the show from separate locations. Exactly. <laughs> and if you want to reach our show, give us a call at 516-855-8214. You can email us at baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Tweet us. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue with Barbecue is all spelled out. And our website is 
www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And Len? Subscribe, rate, review, subscribe. Jeff, when you said, when you did that tweet, it made me laugh. And then it reminded me that the one thing from last show that really made me laugh that people seem to really have enjoyed was your baseball rant. So if you guys haven't heard it, episode 133, you have to hear Jeff. What Somebody, somebody made a comment on Facebook and they said, your rant made them laugh. And then I said something and they said, well, I know Jeff in real life and he is a he's a pretty mild mannered guy. So that was really when you rant that. I mean, it, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. <laughs> and now, Jeff, Chris Lilly, Grant Pinkerton, John Wheeler, Pig Beach. Let's do it. Baseball and barbecue, you know we have a bucket list, and today seems to be the day that we get to knock a few people off the bucket list. That sounds bad, but we are standing here with none other than Chris Lilly of Big Bob Gibson Barbecue. Chris, we we greatly appreciate it. You came to New York. You're here for this great fundraiser, and uh, just uh, tell, when did you get to New York? So I got in on Thursday, and by the way, thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Great to visit with you guys, and uh, good to be back in New York. My absolute favorite place to live. I will admit there's no way I could live in New York, but if I'm going to travel, it's New York is where I want to go. So great to be back in the city, uh, see all my friends, and get to hang out and do a little barbecue cooking. So how? So you come here, what's the, what's the most you could stay here without losing your mind and wanting to go back home? I think a good week, a good solid week where I can <laughs> you know, see everybody I want to see and go to some places and visit some restaurants that I've never been to. Uh, yeah, good week for me, then it's back to Alabama. Now, when a Chris Lilly comes to New York, is barbecue restaurants first thing you visit or last thing you visit? What, what, what's the food that you like to eat when you're in New York? You know, I like to any, eat anything I can't eat in Decatur, Alabama, which right. is everything that is served in New York. So I like to go to restaurants I've never been before. So I'll uh, search out and see, you know, see where all my chef friends uh, like to go uh, or recommend that I go to. So, so yeah, I just, I like new and interesting foods. And uh, so, yeah. How's the, how's the Chinese food in Alabama? Uh, not so great. <laughs> and the bagels? <laughs> There's no such thing as a bagel in Alabama, I don't think. So, okay. It's, it's a mean biscuits, though. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I, I've had biscuits and gravy. That That's good. Yeah, see, we get Chris Lilly on. And we're not, why do we talk to him about barbecue? Yeah, we're going to talk about this great fundraiser. Do you have a relationship with Jeff, Jeff Mishner? Yes. As a matter of fact, when I used to come up here for the block party and I met so, so many great friends at Big B, I used to come up here, and yes, I've cooked with Jeff, and uh, this is a way for me to show support for the family and come back here, and uh, and and really, it's it's like a homecoming. I'm sitting here cooking with all my buddies, you know, from all over the country. Barbecue cooking and the Spitmaster thing is a very small world, so everybody knows everybody. So everybody knew Jeff, everybody loved Jeff, and everybody's proud to be back up here this weekend. Yeah, you you definitely get that from everyone we've spoken to. Uh, we didn't know him, and and it's unfortunate, but this is an incredible incredible event. Um, and, and we thank you for being at this event. It really is a, it, it, it's amazing. It's you know it brings me back to you know the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party when you could go to one place in New York City and have a taste of barbecue uh, flavors from all over the country, and that's really what you got here. It's a Big Apple Barbecue on a small scale, and. Uh, cookers from as far away as seattle and california to all throughout the south texas and georgia and florida and alabama of course but you know and everybody's just doing different and fun things with barbecue at this event so great to be back now everyone today is cooking their signature dish now but i see what what i thought was your signature dish isn't what you're cooking today what are are you cooking (laughs) today we're changing it up a little bit i am doing a barbecue gumbo with uh, crispy okra croutons. So I've got uh, grilled shrimp and grilled sausage andouille. I've got uh, a barbecue beef brisket in there. I've got barbecue chicken chopped in there. Um, 
I've got br- uh, brisket drippings that have dripped out of my brisket all night in the smoker. That stock in there and seafood stock, all kind of great flavors just uh, jumping out of that gumbo. So, uh, you know, it's something different. You know, it's not barbecue chicken with white sauce. No. It's not the pulled pork shoulder that we mm-hmm. normally did at the block party, but uh, it's it's a great dish. Why don't we just call it kitchen sink? That's, that's it. That's that's what it is. Well, Chris, we're going to let you go because we know you're very busy. Soon the, a lot of people are going to come and they're going to want to meet you. But I, I just want to get your commitment to come on with us. I, I And, uh, you know, we'll do a little, something a little longer and uh, talk more barbecue. But just thank you very much for being on Baseball and Barbecue. Love to visit again, guys. Y'all take care. Thank you. We are at Pig Beach the, Long, uh, the Queens location, and we are talking to Grant Pinkerton out of Pinkerton's Barbecue. And Grant, welcome to New York. Thank you very much. So, when did you get in? Well, we got in here um, actually on Wednesday, and uh, I have family that lives just outside uh, in Connecticut and Stanford. So, we went and visited them and then came back into the city and uh, have been here since Thursday afternoon and been enjoying it. So, now at this, this event, well, first of all, it's a fen- phenomenal fundraiser. I mean, you're here from Texas. You came a long way. And it says on this, your your specialty dis- dish is brisket burnt ends. Yeah, well, you know when we're coming from Texas, we've got to represent with some beef, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, can I mean, we're again, we're, we, this is going to be quick, but we're going to ask you to come on the show at some point, and we could go more in depth. But sure. just... Tell us about, you know, your start. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a start. How did you start in barbecue? Yeah, well, uh, I actually started cooking barbecue when I was 12 years old. Um, you know, I, I asked for a barbecue pit for a Christmas for my dad, and he went and indulged and bought me a little Weber Smoky Mountain, so I started cooking. I'm uh, from Houston, and I uh, would go to the butcher shop every day, or every weekend, would get different cuts, come back and smoke them. Uh, in high school, I joined Future Farmers of America, which is a popular organization in the South, and um, learned how to weld and started building barbecue pits and graduate, raised animals, started doing some whole hog cooks, that kind of stuff. Really was, you know, very interested in barbecue then. Went to the University of Texas, continued cooking there, was kind of there for the barbecue explosion in Austin, and um, graduated, moved back to Houston, and started doing craft style barbecue in Houston, and then we just opened our second location in San Antonio last year. Wow. He just summed up his life story in like a minute. But and 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 we have something very similar something in common. The only difference is you did it at 12 and I did it at like 40. That's Getting all right. your first Age is we- just a number. <laughs> the Weber Smoky Mountain. Yep. That's how I started. Yep. But you started at 12. So by the time you were my age, you probably like, you know, uh, offsets and and everything, right? right? He's not your age yet. Yeah, I'm only oh, I'm only 32. Oh yeah, so Oh, wow. Yes. He's got a long ways to go. I, I do. By the time he gets to my age, I might be dead. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and it's funny because the Weber Smoky Mountain, which it, it, he started at 12. I, I can't get over that. At 12 years old, Jeff, what were you doing at 12? I wasn't cooking. I was playing ball. But how many, how many different cookers do you have now? Uh, well, I have nine in my just in the, uh, in the garage at my house personally. Mm-hmm. Then we have... Uh, I don't know. I probably have 20 smokers to my name right now. Wow. In uh, 2017, I was the first pit master ever named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Nice, nice. Yeah. Now, all different makes and models, uh, Traegers and... and uh, all of them. So all we them? have uh, UDS, Ugly Drums. We have uh, Old Hickory Pits. We have Mill Scale Offsets. We got Close Offsets. We got J&R Oiler Pits. I mean, really, you know, if you got one, you need to get them all, right? Like Pokemon. Right. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing, Grant. I thought once I got, you know, the Weber Smoky Mountain and then I got an ugly drum smoker and I got a Traeger, I thought, oh, this is great. And then when it came time to make something, I'm like, what do I use? You know, I, I that was – so how do you decide that's what everybody's going to want to know? You're going to make uh, pulled pork. Right. What are you what are you cooking it on? You got 20 in your garage. What are you cooking it Each on? Each one has got a little different flair to it, right? So if I'm cooking a pork butt, I'm probably going to lean more towards old hickory or the drum smoker or something I can get some, lay some kind of heavier smoke on it with. And then, 
come in later, cook it over some uh, charcoal and stuff like that. The offsets, I like to cook all my beef on offset pits. So beef ribs, brisket, all that kind of stuff needs to go on a nice classic Texas-style offset. Are there any Are there any smokers that you have in there, any in your garage, where they're just not used, but you just can't, you, you don't you don't use it, but you'll never part with it. Oh yeah, well, hmm. Let's see. I'm doing a pretty good job of utilizing them all. I mean, one of the ones that uh, you know, I, it, probably for me, it's the fact that I have four ugly drum smokers in my garage, and I really only when I go to big, really big competitions do I ever need four of them. So I got a lot of them that sit in the back of the garage and kind of collect some dust. Uh, let me ask you this: You obviously wealth of knowledge of what you're cooking. What what? Is like the most unusual kind of beef that you cooked. The most unusual kind of beef? Well, I, I sometimes cook A9 Australian Wagyu briskets and beef ribs. Probably the most wild thing I've cooked is I kind of got a kick for uh, doing like five, six-foot alligators. Wow. Yep. That's a big thing, alligators. People yeah. that cook, cook alligators. Yeah. Alligators, it's the act. You know, they're not so crazy anymore, alligators. Right. You know, it's because we've asked people that, and they say alligators. Do you wrap it in bacon? I've no, seen that. No, what I do is I, I cook it like a fish, so I wipe it down in a nice remoulade sauce that I make, and that mayonnaise and that fat in there actually acts as kind of a moisture barrier, right? So fat and water don't mix. So I coat the outside in the um, remoulade, and I cook it till about 140 degrees like you would a fish. And then I take it, and it actually flakes, and I make po'boys with coleslaw, and uh, rum a lot and pico de gallo, and uh, we serve them like that. Alligator, it's not just for breakfast anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Grant, we, we, we're going we're gonna to go. We thank you for your time, but this is not the end. We I appreciate you it. On. We're going to invite you back on the show. Thank you very much for coming from Texas for this great fundraiser, and uh, we wish you the best. Thank you very much, guys. Great to meet you all. Nice meeting you, too. We are here with John Wheeler, and I'm looking. He's out of Mississippi. That's a long way from uh, New York. John, when did you get here? I got here Thursday morning, and we've had a great time so far in New York. What have you been doing? Uh, we went down. We used to do the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party, which was a festival down on Madison. And uh, we went down to the original Shake Shack. We had a, a burger, and we kind of reminisced a little bit. And my son did a little tour stuff, and we've been cooking. We've been sitting here cooking and talking and having a great time. Well, this is a great fundraiser. Of course, we're here at Pig Beach, and it's the Jeff Mitchner fundraiser. And uh, we, well, first of all, we want to thank you for coming to this because this is just uh, amazing that you would come all this way. And it's, it, it's the, you know what? It's the barbecue community, isn't it? Wouldn't miss it for anything. My daughter, I got a, I got a young kid. She's a, a ninth grader, and she's playing in a playoff game for softball, and she's pitching today, starting pitcher. At 1 o'clock uh, Eastern time, and I'm missing it for this, but I I told myself, I said I wasn't going to miss this for anything. So it's incredible. Wow. That is, that is great. Of course, now she's going to need to see a therapist for uh, years. Yeah, she will. Because, you know, Dad missed my big game. Actually, and... I, actually I'm going to need a therapist, not her. But, you know, <laughs> Jeff and I, we, we did some events here before, uh, back when Jeff was a, a pit boss here, and he, he's just, just a great guy. If you, you knew him, you loved him, and you want to do anything for him and his family. Yeah. So now your specialty dish is baby back ribs. Everybody here is cooking their specialty dish. Why are baby back ribs your specialty? Well, one, the rib is the king of barbecue. And the baby back is the highest part of the hog. Uh, you've heard us saying high on the hog. Well, that's that's the best part of the hog is the baby back. And I won the world championship twice with a baby back rib, so got to cook it. Absolutely. So world champion winner. Yes. Twice. Yes. Okay. The Mets have only won two World Series in, in how many years did you do that in? I uh, did it in about 15. Yeah. See? That's pretty, pretty good, Jeff. The Mets, the Mets did me on the mound. <laughs> and I see you're a big supporter of Operation Barbecue Relief. I, I see you're wearing that. Uh, I am. I've been with them for eight years now. And uh, we, you know, we travel to disaster areas, and we've done, we're really, really close to our 10 millionth meal. Wow. Now, when they, I know as soon as a disaster strikes, they're out there. I mean, how fast do you run out there? Do you mobilize to get to the site? I have driven through the remnants of a hurricane to get to the site so i mean it was coming north through mississippi and i was going south towards this one was to houston been to uh, houston when it was still raining uh panama city the big one they had down there so just as fast as we can get there so you you i mean 
just talking to you for just a couple minutes, you are basically he's he's a good man. You're a good man. Yeah. That's I, <laughs> I, I'm going to conclude. A he's a good man. Yeah, we try so, to be good. All right, so you've been in barbecue for a while. So just give us a quick, you know, uh, how, how did you get into barbecue? Is it? I, I know some people. It's it's their second generation, third generation. How did you get into barbecue? So uh, my sister was working at a chamber of commerce and wanted me to do a barbecue contest. I said okay. So I borrowed a buddy's grill. I went down, and uh, I'm not really good at getting beat. By the way, I, I don't like second place, and I got my <laughs> ass kicked. I mean royally. I said it won't happen again. And I practiced and I practiced. I started and. Won, won some contests, won a world championship, and uh, I'm a home builder also. And when the building went south in 08, 07, 08, 09, I had to make a living, so I opened a restaurant, and now i got two of them, so, and I still build wow. houses. People always need to eat. That's I, the I, thing. I figured that out the hard way. Both, yeah. both restaurants in Mississippi? I got uh, one in Mississippi and one in Atlanta, just, just, just outside Atlanta in Dunwoody, Georgia. Gotcha. Wow. How, how, what's the commute between those? It's a, a, a one-hour flight or a six-hour drive. <laughs> so, and uh, All right, so now uh, you're here. You're making baby back ribs. I saw they look amazing. Um, give us uh, – we're not asking for the secret sauce or anything, but for everybody – because baby back ribs, you know, there's some things here that people are cooking that I don't know that anyone's going to cook, but baby rack, back ribs – are something everybody wants to try and cook. You know what is a, the secret? The, the secret is not very difficult. Hey, get find a good dry rub. There's lots of them out there. Find a good sauce. There's lots of them out there. Find a good internal thermometer. There's not a lot of them out there. And cook the ribs right. Cook them perfectly. Cook them to about 202 degrees internal. Cook them to the bones are about a quarter inch coming out. Cook them until the, you can just a slight tug and they come off the bone. You don't want them to fall off the bone. They're overdone. You don't want them to be tough because they're not done. So. Cooking into the right temperature is the key to cooking a baby back. Yeah, I <laughs> I once was making baby back ribs on a uh, an ugly drum smoker, and they were done. They were hanging from the hooks, and I had somebody who has problems with his teeth, needed really soft, and I said to myself, "Oh, okay, if they're soft now, they'll be even softer." So I go into shower, get the smoke smell off. I come out tons of smoke coming out of that ugly drum smoker <laughs> and they were gone They're they had fallen the off the off the hook so those were overcooked they would were you a little say? Mu- yeah, a little much a little much <laughs> now i noticed you're wrapping them in foil so foil over butcher paper we do foil because we put a uh, a mixture of several things in the foil when we wrap them to add more flavor to it we kind of layer in, layer in flavor our dry rub then our foil wrap and now our glaze on the outside oh, oh. Wow. All right. So, John, we, we're not going to keep you, but we thank you for coming on. And all we're going to say is that now you know baseball and barbecue, and we're going to try and get you back on for a little longer uh, when you're not, you know, going to disaster areas or missing your daughter's softball game. We would love to have you back on. We'd love to do it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeff, that was three great pitmasters. Yeah. And the food was delicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, I, that was really, uh, it was a great event, great food. We met our friend Sean Ludwig there. Although, you know, I notice all these, the he, he puts out smoke sheet and the NYC barbecue with pictures. And I don't see our picture with in, in there. Neither did I. Yeah, Must be so. some type of oversight. It must be. Must Maybe. be a technical glitch. That's what I'm saying. It's a glitch. It's a gl- we'll go with that. <laughs> I don't know what else to say, so that must mean we are at the end. So, Len, before we end the show, you have anything you want to say? Yes. Father's Day is coming up, and there is no better way to celebrate Father's Day than buying gifts. I don't know why that's... I think probably better is to spend the time with your dad, but you're going to need to buy a gift, right? Unless you're going to make it out of like macaroni or something. But I, I think most of us will be buying gifts. Go to baseballbbq.com for the great grilling tools and accessories. Go to the Pandemic Baseball Book Club for books, shockingly books, and some shirts and other swag. How about MagnaChef? Go to magnaschef.com for the great grilling gloves. Am I men- am I skipping anyone, Jeff? Am I leaving anyone out? I think you're good. 
just remember Father's Day, special time. And uh, I think that all of those will make great gifts. We are presented by Bet Online. Flynn, how do we end the show? With the poet, Shel Kukowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, and the song, Baseball, always brings you home. We will see you on episode 135. And that one is another good one. I promise you that. See ya.